I was in why me mode, like complete and utter why me mode. I can't believe this is happening to me. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I'm good to people. And I just started thinking about this woman that raised me. And I'm thinking about my mom and I'm thinking about her. And I'm thinking about her. And I was like, dude, you used to come home from school and we'd have no power. Couldn't pay the bill. And my mom used to walk in and just start lighting candles and start giving out flashlights. Like literally not even like from her third job would walk in, no hesitation and just, oh, lights are out. Here we go. You know, we don't have hot water. Okay, this is what we'll do. Just not. And I'm like, you're 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 laying here like you're not going to get better. So you got to get out of why me mode and you got to get into what now mode. That's Cornell Thomas, and I'm Brian Felcher. The Do A Day Podcast. Will you hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned? I'm your host, Brian Falchuk. I know because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do A Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. Hey, day doers. Another episode of the Do A Day podcast right now. I have an awesome guest. I've got my friend Cornell Thomas. Cornell and I met when we were backstage right before doing our first TEDx talks. He walked into the uh, the green room, that's the like the waiting area um, where you know it's kind of like a lounge room, um, and it happened to be green actually, which is kind of ironic. They're not usually green, but anyway, that has nothing to do with the interview. He walked in, and and I say it in the interview, too. I had to tell him this, but, like, I felt him walk into the room. He just came in with this power and this presence, and he, the way he engaged with everyone, like, he just went around the room and genuinely engaged with everybody. I was like, there's something about this guy, and we just clicked. We started sharing our stories with each other. We sat together to watch some of the speakers. His wife came. I got to meet her. We just we just hit it off. Um so it was only natural that I would get him on the show. But the real reason why he's on the show, aside from just that connection, is his story. So Cornell is a basketball coach um, part of the time. The other part of the time, aside from being a very dedicated husband and father and son and brother and all kinds of other family-related things, he is, uh, we call this out, we need better names for it. I don't. So I don't want to say life coach, but that kind of thing, because we don't like the word. Um and a public speaker, and an author, and a guy who is just completely dedicated to helping people find their purpose, move forward, and actually achieve their dreams with the right kind of focus. Uh, he's all about just that impact on others, helping people do better in their lives. And he's he's so driven in that. He's got such a powerful message, and it comes from firsthand experience. He's lived through some serious stuff. This is a guy who was terrible at basketball, but didn't let that stop him and practiced literally hours and hours a day, gave up on everything else that teenagers normally engage in, like didn't go to his prom, didn't do anything just to keep going to the court and practicing more to try to get to his dream. And he fought hard for it. And eventually he was about to get his dream when tragedy struck and it was all ripped away from him. And that is the powerful story that he shared in his TED talk. He shares it on his website. He talks about it really openly, but he's going to talk about it today. So I don't want to give away too much because I want him to tell it because his words are so powerful. We will get into this episode right now. No more delay with Cornell Thomas. Cornell Thomas, thank you so much for being here. This is a long time in the making, but I'm very excited to have you on. 
Thanks for having me, Brian. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. So look, you don't have to hear it because I always record the intro separately, but I went on this whole thing about this moment that you walked into the green room for that that first TEDx that we did. Yeah. There was like, I didn't see you walk in, but I swear I felt you walk in, <laughs> you know, and, and it's not because you brushed up against me. I was on the other side of the room. There was something, there's something about your presence. And yeah, you're a tall guy, but that's not what it is. You just came in and there was like, there's a power that's just entered the room. And the way you engaged with everybody and not, not in a fake way at all, it was like somehow you were genuinely connecting with each and every person and genuinely interested in what their message was yeah. and how you could support it. And it, like, you know, I pride myself being able to smell when someone's just like hemming it up. Yeah. I felt it clearly right away. And then I have my litmus test when my friend Aaron showed up, Aaron Hawkins. Yeah. Yep. And I'm like, if Aaron will know if it's fit. And he was like, that dude's a real deal. Um, <laughs> So yeah, long time coming to, to have you oh. on here, but I'm excited. Man, I appreciate it. When I, I I said in the beginning, you know, we're we're kindred spirits. So when I saw you in the green room, when we started talking, and I met I met Big A, and he was also on your show. And, and my wife was like, I talked to the guy Brian for a really long time. He's a great guy. I'm like Melissa. I know about his kid. Like I know, like we talk, the, we know each other's whole deep stories. I was like, we know each other's every. We know every aspect of each other's stories. Like and then. The thing that I was bummed out about is at the TED Talk, once I finished, you know, I was grabbed. So, mm. you know, my friends, like, kind of bum-rushed the bum rushed the back, and they, like, were talking to me and giving me hugs, and I'm then, you know, I'm hugging everybody, and I missed your talk. So that night, I went back, and I, I you know, I knew, I knew you killed it. I went back, and I watched your talk, and I was like, this dude, he, he has a great, great, great message. Because you were telling me a little bit beforehand but then when as to just see you you're just very at ease and very comfortable you know on stage it was just like a it's cool just seeing i love watching good speakers kind of do their thing and be in their element and you know a ted talk i mean it's a ted like you you know you're a veteran so like you do a ted talk some people go you know may go out there get a little nervous get a little and uh you you just kind of went out there and just rocked it and then dropped the microphone and got off the stage (laughs) luckily it was an earpiece so we didn't have to worry about any mics falling but yeah i so I, I put this thing out right. Um, I can't remember. It was right before. I think it was right afterward. About you, you probably know Jay Z's whole point in yeah. uh, with lyrics is like you. If you're writing lyrics, you shouldn't be on stage. You shouldn't be yeah. performing. And that's kind of. I got in, in a little bit of a debate with someone about like, should you script the whole thing? Mm-hmm. And I'm like adamantly opposed to it. And I yeah. I got that feeling from you too. Is like if you're talking about what your heart is, why do you need a script? It doesn't mean don't practice. It doesn't mean yeah. don't know your points. Of course you need that, but don't script it because scripting is not you and people aren't going to connect with the script. They're going to connect with you. So. And life isn't a script, right? Right. right. Life isn't a script. So uh, I can always, always figure out when someone is scripted is speaking from a script and I can figure, it's like when someone's freestyle rapping, you know, when it's a freestyle, you know, when it's already written down, like they already written it that wrote it down somewhere. Yeah. So I like to just flow like, yeah, there are points that I want to hit you with. But I'm going to flow because I don't know where the talk is necessarily going to go. Right. It can right. go. Like I never did the, the talk that I did for my TED Talk with you at the TEDx in the Bergen County College. I, I've never done that specific speech before. Are you serious? I've never. I've never done that. Wow. So I did. I had there's, – there's a couple parts in there that I've said before, a couple sentences. But I've never put that together. I never started that way. I've never ended that way. I've never – the middle was different. And it was just me driving in the car and just talking, just talking. Yeah. yeah. 
You know, uh, what are some stories that I can talk about? All right, let me talk about this story. Let me, does this story go with this story? And just talking in my voice memo. Yeah. And then right before, uh, you know, the week before, you know, I just said, told my wife, I said, you know, hey, I know I never do this, but can you just sit down for one second? I'm just going to talk this through. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't doing the speech. I was just talking it through. And I'd stop and I'd be like, oh, you know, I can change that. Mm-hmm. And, and then I would go again. And she's like, oh, I really like it. I was like, cool. This is the one thing I'm going to do. She's like, okay. She's like, you never done. I was like, I don't care. I was like, it's, <laughs> the, I come. the words will come when I get there. Oh, and they did. So, all right. So we're, we're just going to sit here and talk about talking and agreeing with each <laughs> other, but we got to get into this. We have it. And I'll, I'll, for everyone's sake, like I'll, I'll link to the talk. That's no problem. We'll put it, just check the show notes. You get right to it. Um, and you got to watch it. Um, can you tell us like, what is this amazing story that you delivered? There's such passion in your backstory. You got to share it. So I, my story starts when I was three years old. I was three years old. My father, uh, Bobby Thomas passed away from cancer. He was a police officer in the city of Passaic, New Jersey, did all these amazing things in the city of Passaic, New Jersey. Uh, but I didn't, I, I, to this day, I have two memories of my father. That's it. The, the rest are from other people's stories, from, you know, pictures I've seen. But I just didn't know my dad. All I knew was that he did a lot of things that for, for the community because they do. They have an award after him still, wow. uh, the community service award for him. And this is 40 years later. And um, you know, but when my father passed away, my mom was left with the task of raising five kids on her own. Yeah, and were you the is, youngest? I'm the youngest boy. My sister's younger than I am. Okay. So I was. I got to see really early what struggle was about. Yeah. Right. I got to see really early what. Uh, adversity was about. And, you know, to my mom's credit, and I always talk about my mom whenever I go speak, I just never saw her quit. And I never saw her. I mean, I know there are days where she probably went to put her hand, her, her head in her hands. I know there are days where there are just so many bills to pay. She didn't think she could take it, yeah. but she never showed us that side. She was always like, her main thing is everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. So I didn't grow up really being passionate about anything. You know, I was, my whole thing was just being a kid, cool being a kid. I didn't know, I didn't have a connection with my father. Yeah. don't want to be a police officer. And it wasn't until the summer, my summer, my sophomore year in high school, where I fell in love with basketball. I, I discovered basketballs. My mom's from uh, Bird's Nest, Virginia, which you can't find on the map. It's, uh, <laughs> it's probably the size of my, my bedroom. And uh, I'm sitting there at my grandmother's house and she had this old basketball and I, I, you know, my cousin was a really good basketball player. I had no idea he was. He was enlisted in the army. And I was, I, I was sitting on his bed, looked under his bed, saw all these newspaper articles about him. And I said, hey, I'm going to be a basketball player. You know, I'm, I'm sick of not having a date. I'm sick of uh, yeah. wearing hammer pants and people, you know, making fun of me. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a basketball player. And I had no idea the work it was going to take to be that. But yeah. I just knew that I had work ethic in me because of my mom. No, so I, I, I got I to stop you on this one real quick, though. You had like no coordination. Isn't that right? I was a baby. Like you, yeah. Was, <laughs> it was like I got shot in both legs. Like I was not coordinated. No one would think that, like, you know, tall guy. So your life is, is focused on basketball. Your whole story culminates in that. And it's like, oh, my, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't yeah. even dribble. I was a baby deer. Yeah. I was I mean, when I say. Brian, when I say I've never picked up a basketball, I mean I never picked up a basketball ever. Yeah, like basketball wasn't even was not even in my periphery anywhere, and no one in my family played basketball except for my mom. She played basketball like 1955, you know, when there's like a, a, a there's a offense and a defense. Yeah. so it was a different game. But the the moment that changed my life with basketball is when we got home from Virginia. 
Uh, I walked about three miles. We moved from Passaic, which was inner city, to Rockaway, which was completely suburb. Mm. So no sidewalks. Everything's far away. And I walked three miles to the nearest basketball court. And I'm just throwing up the ball, and the ball's not going anywhere. And I'm just getting frustrated. And literally, this guy comes out of the woods. And uh, well, his house was by the woods. It wasn't like, you know, I always say when I speak, I'm like, not some creepy guy. That yeah, it's like he came out of the bushes he was watching you from. Just watching me shoot baskets. Uh, he came up, introduced himself. He said, my name is Ray. Would you mind if I showed you how to shoot this basketball? And Ray is like, I'm a six foot, you know, four and a half, six foot five, you know, African-American dude. Ray's a five foot eight Korean guy. <laughs> And just think of that, just yeah. a bit of that, right? So I always tell people, I was like, you know, people say never judge a book by its cover. I say also never judge a book by its color because you'll always be surprised. Yeah. You'll always be surprised. So Ray, for the next two hours, showed me how to properly shoot a basketball. And it changed the course of my life. My my first book, the second chapter is entitled Ray as a dedication to him. Oh, that's awesome. He just planted the seed, Brian, right? Yeah. So like we do what we do in terms of speaking because – we, you never know who you're going to impact. Yes. Ray gave me two hours, three hours of his time that day, just out of the kindness of his heart. I see this kid, he's struggling. Let me help him. So Ray showed me I shoot a basketball. And they saw him three more times after that uh, and just randomly. And uh, I just I went on my mission. I, at six hours a day, seven hours a day, all I did was basketball. Hmm. You know, I didn't go to my junior prom, didn't go to my senior prom. I watched the limousines pass me as I was shooting around. Got cut from varsity my junior year. Um, sat the bench my whole the whole entire time my senior year, and then after my senior year, my mom only saw me play like one time. She worked three jobs, and it was in the, I was in the warm up line. I didn't even play, so she didn't know how bad I was. And my mom goes, she goes, baby boy, she goes, um, I can't pay for college. And I said, Ma, I know. I said it's okay. And she goes, No, it's not okay. She's like, We have to figure something out. Mm. And she's like, there's a tryout at this school called Centenary College. You want to go? Centenary College was like a small Division three school. I said, sure. So I go to this trial with her and for two and a half hours, three and a half, three hours, I was absolutely terrible. Mm. And the coach bought us in at the end of the trial and he goes, Cornell, he goes, you can go to school here and you can even be on the team, but you're probably never going to play like ever, ever going to play. And my limited mindset, I was like, yes, you know, I'm going to be on a team. I'm a college Jersey. This is awesome. Yeah. And I looked at my mom and my mom, literally raised her hand in the office of three people. And the first thing she asked the coach was, uh, Coach Gemma, how many players have gone to the NBA from this school? Like, first thing she asked. Yeah. Like, not even a flinch. And I'm, like, slipping down into my seat. Oh, man. Embarrassed. Like, Mom. But I told my mom when I first started trying to play basketball that I wanted to play in the NBA. Yeah. So we went into that meeting. She had that story she's keeping your dream alive even if you're not as focused on it yeah so when we were driving home we're i mean me and my mom you'll meet her one day we're just super super tight right so we're driving home and my mom's not saying anything to me the whole ride home is just silent and i came to the epiphany that you just said it's like my mom believes in me more than i believe in myself yeah sometimes and, we need that yeah man but it hurt me because i'm like i'm doing this for her mm. right I'm doing this for you, and I don't believe in myself enough to make this dream happen. So how am I going to make it so you never have to work another day in your life again if I don't believe that I can do it? Yeah, that's values lessons number one for you. Yeah. Yeah, that's well, a big one. That's a big one. That was a huge, the huge value lesson for me was you got to believe in yourself more than anybody else. you yeah. got to be your biggest cheerleader. 
And so when I got back home, I, you know, we figured out I couldn't go to Sydney in college. I didn't have the money. So I worked two jobs. I worked at Foot Action <laughs> in the mall and I worked at a pharmacy and I just did basketball six hours a day. I went to a junior college, uh, paid for the junior college myself, my freshman year, averaged seven points a game. And then that second year, my sophomore year, you know, it, it, it clicked, you know, 20, you know, all these accolades, first team, all region, all-star teams, blah, blah, blah. And all these guys that were in my high school three years prior were like, what happened? I said, well, while you were out partying and hanging out and chasing girls, I was playing basketball. You know, that's all I was doing. Yeah. So people always see that, that in destination, they don't see the fact that you sacrificed all these things just so you can make it just so you can get proficient at the game. And I say a lot, you know, one of the, one of the value lessons, the second one for me is you got to sacrifice what you like in order to get what you love. I love that. Wow. That was a big one. Yeah. You know, sacrifice. You got to be willing to sacrifice what you like, man. I, I would have, I really like the idea of going to parties and hang out with my friends and chasing girls. That's cool. But I loved the idea of making sure my mom never had to work again. Yeah. Like I love that. So it's like, what's your priority? That was my priority. So and that's a I, super mature position to take as it like the amount of temptations when you're a late teens, you know, early twenties guy. And to like, when you're talking about not going to the prom, like, okay, look, that's one night, that's a few hours, but you, yeah. that didn't stop you from staying the course. Like most people would be like, okay, well tonight, you know, it's just this one night. But mm-hmm. I think what, what you just said, that brings it all home. is like, look, there are plenty of times where you could just do something else and it'll be nice. Yeah. But is that like, are you, are you on this planet to be nice, to be fine? Yep. Are you willing to really stay that course? And it's awesome that you had your mother as that sort of ring fence when you weren't, you know, those moments where you weren't seeing it as clearly. Mm-hmm. She brought you back to it, but you still did the work. Yeah. See, I always had her mind and people always say, man, don't you wish, you, you know, when I was younger, they'd be like, man, don't you wish you grew up with your dad? And I was like, yeah, man. But as I got older, I realized that when my dad passed away, the one thing that he did to my mom in that passing is, he transformed her into an expert problem solver. Expert. Five kids, one brother with autism, um, no money. Mm. Was from the inner, out of the inner city, into the suburbs, just so we can have a better education. She doesn't do that if she's not an expert problem solver. We, yeah. We're not around. I'm not talking to you right now. I'm not doing what I'm doing. And my mom didn't figure that out. So she made me an expert problem solver. And my problem was I sucked at basketball. <laughs> <laughs> That's a problem. The solution yeah. is work to the point where you can't fill your arms anymore. And I got a scholarship to play in North Dakota. Uh, and I, I didn't even know where North Dakota was. I thought it was where the monuments were. My yeah. mom was like, no, babe, that's South Dakota. Uh, you're not, not there yet. Uh, and I, but I got a full scholarship to play, played there, came back home. And I'm like seven years removed from getting cut from varsity. I'm playing with NBA guys and guys that play in oh. Europe at this gym. And it's just me, you know, like yeah. Cornell Thomas. Like I, I was a guy that didn't go to, Villanova or Duke or North Carolina and these guys are embracing me like one of their own and uh, I'll never forget I was on <laughs> I was on my computer my dial-up taking forever I was on MySpace <laughs> and uh, probably putting a song on MySpace and my email popped up and I got an uh, uh, email from my agent who mm-hmm. said that I had to leave in two weeks he said you're gonna you got a contract to play in Portugal in Lisbon the top division wow. you got to go in 14 days and I'll never forget it. I read that, Brian. I must have read that email about 50 times before yeah. I put it down. 
like 50 times. It's like, not even real. You got to keep reading it. Just get like, how is this even real? This isn't happening, right? Yeah. This, like all this, when you see your work come to fruition, like the first time that you got paid to speak, right? Or the yeah. first time, like when you see something in front of you, like it's tangible. I'm feeling this. I, like, I know this is happening now. It's just no, there's no experience. There's no other, there's no words for it. So yeah. I see this email and I'll never forget. I went to pick up my cousin. My mom wasn't home yet. I went to pick up my cousin from, from uh, school, picked my cousin up, told him, and then happened to be my cousin who, who I started playing basketball because in the first place. Oh, yeah. Was living with us for a little bit in New Jersey. I told him he was on cloud nine. I got home, Brian. I walk in. I see my mom. I run up to my mom. I give my mom a hug. I said, Mom, I said, I got a contract to play professional basketball. I cannot make this up. My mom said, babe, that's great. What do you want for dinner? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so what did you say? What did you guys have that night? <laughs> but I was like, mom, I don't think you understand. The, like, I, I'm getting a, I got a contract play professional. My mom believed in me so much. Like in her mind, it was just like, it wasn't news. Yeah. God, Man, are, she's so focused. She's so focused. She's like, all you do is basketball. What else would you get a contract to do? <laughs> right? So throughout all the stuff, this is what my mom. So I'm just sitting there. I'm just amazed by this woman. And I'm just like, okay. So a week goes by. I'm working out still, training still. Um, and we have this going away party. I met my wife in North Dakota, Melissa. And she flies down. from. She's from Seattle. She flies down from Seattle, who you met. Yeah. Uh, it's me, her, my mom, and like what, like I think one of my brothers. We had no money, so it's like we, you know, we like we had a cupcake. I don't even think we had a whole full cake. And, uh, and so I'm like, I'm excited. I like, can't wait to go. I'm pumped up. You know, Melissa flies back home. Uh, it's a Sunday. Uh, I'm out on the court, just joking around through like you know, a couple of my friends. They want to play a pickup game, half court. I'm like, ah, I'll play half court. I only have a week left before I go. I just kind of take it easy. I go to do a move and go to the basket. And I hear a pop. No. fall on the ground go to get myself back up i can't put any weight on my right foot fall on the ground again do that one more time my buddies come running over they help me up and they go see i said who stepped on my heel he goes see like no one stepped on your heel. we weren't even by you so uh i drive myself to the hospital which was super smart drag my foot up to the emergency room and i'm not calling my mom because in my mind i was thinking if i call my mom this makes whatever this is real. Yeah. Like what this is, now this is real. So yeah. I can't call my mom. So eventually I call my mom. My mom comes down. This guy by the name of Dr. Bradish comes in. And he goes, Cornell, I know your aspirations. You know, I was talking to your mom. But if I grab the back of your calf muscle and you feel excruciating pain, we have to do surgery on Thursday. And this is a Sunday. This guy's talking about surgery. He goes, it means that you ruptured your Achilles tendon. And this is 2002, 2001. Right. So it's like the Achilles uh, uh, surgery that's a lot different, you know, now than it was. So an uh, Achilles injury is like a year and some change back then. Mm. And so he grabs the back of my calf muscle. I feel excruciating pain. And uh, I, to this day, I can't remember what happened Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Yeah, I have no of idea. course. All I remember is being wheeled in on Thursday uh, for surgery. I remember being wheeled out with a hard cast. By that night, by the time I got home, my contract was already voided. Yeah. And then that next day, I remember um, my mom kissing me on my forehead on her way to one of the three jobs. I told her she never have to work again. Yeah. 
and that was the the hardest day of my life. That's and the I, moment from your your TED talk that that moment with your mom. Yeah, that's the one that gripped me more than anything. Oh. Um, it, it's it's not when you rupture the tendon; it's oh. when you got to that point in your mom. Because there's such a I I actually I didn't I didn't remember that I didn't meet your mom. I just met yeah. Melissa. <laughs> And I yeah. like, I felt, I felt this, like, I understand this woman. Obviously I don't, I can't come close to understanding what she's like, but you left people with such an impression of how amazing she is. Yeah. And so then I felt myself like feeling the disappointment, not necessarily like you disappointed her, but the yeah. disappointment she, she knows that you're feeling and this connection you guys have and how you, you so desperately want to change her story because of all she's given you and your siblings. Mm -hmm. um that's the piece of the story that broke my heart more than anything yeah i don't get choked up when i talk about the injury i get choked up when i talk about that of course next day. yeah right so even on this when i was on stage i mean i had a, a huge knot in my throat mm -hmm. that pause because you know there was a time you know where i was i was at this point uh of, this, of my talk and I, I forgot where i was i was just telling i was just relaying the story and out of nowhere i was i just started tearing up and i was just like it kind of shocked me a little bit. I'm yeah. Like, oh, where it's because even now when I sit, when I tell the story, I feel it in my chest because when she walked out, I felt like such a failure and I know it was the furthest thing from what she was thinking, Yeah. but I just felt like such a failure and I did not want her to worry about my state of mind. Yeah. You know, she had other things. She had all these other things she had to worry about. So when she left, you know, I was, I got so pissed off and I'm, you know, cursing the heavens. And it was the first time I cried because I, when she, I was in front of her, I just put up a front. I'll be fine, mom. Great. I'm bummed. She left. I just started crying. I cried for hours. Yeah. Um, I was in why me mode, like complete and utter why me mode. I can't believe this is happening to me. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I'm, I'm good to people. And I just started thinking about this woman that raised me. And I'm thinking about my mom and I'm thinking about her. I'm thinking about her. And I was like, dude, you used to come home from school and we'd have no power, couldn't pay the bill. And my mom used to walk in and just start lighting candles and start giving out flashlights. Like literally not even like from her third job would walk in, no hesitation and just, Oh, lights are out. Here we go. You know, we don't have hot water. Okay. This is what we'll do. Just not. And I'm like, you're, you're, you're laying here. Like you're not going to get better. So you got to get out of why me mode and you got to get into what now mode. And that was a man, that was a, such a big lesson for me is like changing it from why me to what now. And when I tell people, when people are like, man, how long did it take you to get over your injury? When I tell them 48 hours, they don't believe me. And the reason it was 48 hours is because that next day I called my, my, one of my best friends, my friend Kevin. I said, Kev, pick me up on Monday morning. We're going to the gym. And he goes, Cornell, and he felt, he sounded like I died. He's like, what are we going to do with that? I said, just pick me up. And for the next six months, I shot from a chair. So even though I was on crutches, I had this hard cast, um, yeah. you know, I, I, I would get away for that hour, hour, 15 minutes, and I would shoot from a chair and I, my mind was still in the game, yeah. right? I was still, and then the rest of the hours where I was home, you know, looking at four walls by myself, you know, I was still thinking I'm gonna, you know, I know I'm gonna get better. And when you go through change, and I talk about this sometimes when I speak, I said they were saying that any big change is like, the stages that people go through when they have a, when they have a terminal illness, when they find out they have a terminal illness, it's like, you know, uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression. 
And then the fifth stage is acceptance. Mm-hmm. What I try to tell people is when you're in that depression, when you're in that the worst state out of all of them, if you can just tell yourself, like, I'm on a bridge, I'm on this depression bridge, but at the end of this freaking bridge is acceptance, then you see a finish line. You're a runner, right? You see a finish line. There's something innately in your body that makes you go faster, right? You could have nothing left, but when you see that finish line, you have a little bit more to get through it. Yeah. That's acceptance is to me. That's what acceptance was to me at that time. Like just realizing this has already happened. There's nothing you can do about it now. Nothing. You can cry. You can get angry. You can get upset. You can curse the heavens. Whatever you want to do. You can have human emotion. You can be whatever. But at the end of the day, there's nothing you can do right now about what just happened. So you got to say what now and you got to move forward and you have to figure it out. Right. It's not about what just happened. It's about what's going to happen. And that's what you can do something about. Exactly. So I, you know, I worked myself back, you know, I was probably 90%. I went to a pro camp in Alabama, uh, Birmingham, Alabama. And, um, and I started getting these major, major signs that playing basketball wasn't it. And I'm in Birmingham, Alabama, Brian, I'm with, a good friend of mine, my friend Mike, and he's from LA and flies out. We go to this camp. The, first, the camp was ran terribly. It was just kind of a money camp. It was like 300 of us, and the camp was just awful. And it's supposed to be a pro camp. There was supposed to be scouts there. There was no scouts there. And these two guys got kicked out the first day of camp because they were just, we want our money back, causing a ruckus. The police had to be called. Um, these guys get kicked out. The last day of camp, they have the all-star game. Me and my friend Mike are walking out of the gym. As we're walking out of the gym and into the shuttle, uh, these guys that got kicked out walk into the gym with guns. Wow. We hop on the shuttle. We're driving to the hotel. These guys are shooting up the gym. And we find out, once I got to the hotel, we found out that you know someone lost their life. And I'm, I was three minutes away from that. Wow. You know, three minutes away. And it was like the universe was saying, dude, just this isn't it. And then the next sign, the huge sign, um, uh, my old coach, which, who was an AD at the Sussex County College where I went to school the first two years, he goes, Cornell, our coach, he goes, he just left in September. He just left. We have no coach for this season. There's no way I'll be able to get a coach in on time. Will you, will you coach? And I said, no. Like, straight up, like, no disrespect, but no. I'm 26 years old. Why would I coach? Yeah. And I had a big chip on my shoulder because I was so used to saying to myself, Oh, I'll show everybody, everybody that made fun of me. Everybody told me that wasn't good. Anybody that thinks I can't make it from this injury, I'll show everybody. Um, I have this big chip, and I, I put him on that show, on my on my chip. I said, oh, he doesn't think I can do it either. And I was talking to Melissa on the phone, and she goes, babe, she goes, I think you'd be a great coach. I swear to you, I hung up on him. Wow. I, just hung up on him. I said, okay, well, you don't think I can do it either. All right, I'll be by myself. And then my mom <laughs> was talking to me, and my mom said, Baby, she goes, you'd be a great coach. And obviously, I'm not hanging up on Tina Thomas. And I said, uh, she goes, you you need to go to that interview just to, out of respect for your old coach, you need to go to that interview. I said, Mom, I love you, but I'm not going to coach basketball. She goes, just go to the interview. I go to the interview on, I think, a Thursday. I'm sitting there with my arms crossed, defiant, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to be a coach. Brian, I cannot make this up. On Monday, I had an orange whistle around my neck and 15 guys calling me coach. Wow. And I was, I mean, it just happened. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I'm 26. This is junior college. So there's some guys in there like that are 23. Yeah. And I'm like, and I have to show these guys 
how to care about one another, how to take school seriously, how to work hard, how to be disciplined, all this Coach Carter stuff. And uh, I realized, like, as I started, and I opened up Crossroads Basketball, I started training kids for basketball, and I realized that my mission on this earth is to help people. Yeah. That's it. I, and I thought it was through basketball. That's what I originally thought. I thought it was through basketball. And I ended up going, staying there at six, for six years at Sussex County College, transferred to Blair, uh, went to Blair Academy. Uh, this guy, Joe Mantagna, a really good friend of mine, who's this Hall of Fame basketball coach. He was like, Cornell, why are you coming in as an assistant? You know, we're going to like co-coach this team. I don't want you to think like an assistant. Just really like ego-less guy. And me and him, you know, we won championships at Blair. It was great. And right before my son Bryce was born, uh, man, right before he was born, I think maybe three or four months before he was born, I started to have this shift. Like the games didn't mean the same thing. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, like I did, I still cared if we won a loss. But before, like if we lost, I'd go home and I'd be like, ah, it'd sit with me. Yeah. You know, it would stay with me. And now it was more like, I'm about to be a dad. You know, like, oh, okay. I totally different value base. It's totally yeah. different value base. And then I'm talking to my buddies that coach Division One basketball, and they're telling me how they're never home. They never see their kids. And at that point in time, um, I had a I had a book of – a friend of mine got me a book of positive quotes. It's called The Book of Positive Quotations. I'm going to take a picture of it today and put it on uh, on Instagram. Not very original title. And um, – I was I woke up one day and I saw this negativity on my social media feed. I started taking quotes out of the book and putting it on the on the on the Facebook. Mm-hmm. People started to like it. So I could say, cool, all right. So even the drama bombs like the the quotes, cool, I'll mm-hmm. keep them. And one day I woke up and I couldn't find the book. And I wrote my own quote. And people still liked it. So I was like, well, screw the book. I'm just gonna write my own quote. So I started writing my own quotes and the quotes became blogs. And around by the time you know Bryce was about to be born. I started turning these blogs into books. I was like, I want to write a book. So I started writing this, my first book. And it was like power positivity, controlling where the ball bounces. I'm like, you know, I'm going to talk all about my life and mindset. to be a short book because people don't read a ton. So it'd be like 65 pages, 60 pages, short, pick it up, get something, put it down. And that first Bryce was born. And I'll never forget, he was, uh, it was June 4th, uh, 2013. And I'm looking at this kid at 428 a.m. It's just me and him. And I, as I look down at him, you know, I'm tearing up and I have, I have a flashback of my life mm-hmm. and a flash forward of him like 20 years. And I said to myself, I said, I just never want to be away from this kid. Like I never want to be like, we'd have practices and it, it'd be a late practice and I miss, I admit he'd be asleep when I got home sometimes. Yeah. And I, was, uh, I just can't do this. So I stayed another you know, two years at Blair and, you know, we had Naya. And then when we had Naya, I, you know, once I, it's funny because once I wrote my book, once my book got published, uh, I had a book signing in, in the small, <laughs> it was like, it was like $600 to, to rent the space. And I think I had like $700 in my bank account. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to rent the space. It's right in the middle of the mall. I'm going to hire these people to, to film it, make a big thing about it. And that's going to start my speaking career. Mm-hmm. And, that's what I did. And uh, they filmed it. They did like a little mini doc about it. And people were like, you know, people in the mall. I mean, the line was like an hour and a half long. It was my wow. first. Thing. And people, you know, all my friends came from all these different uh, areas of my life to support. And uh, I just started going out and I said, okay, well, I have a message. I, 
I, I think my words are helping people. I want to go share it. Didn't have an agent, still don't have an agent. Didn't have a PR person, still don't have a PR person. And I just started going out and speaking about positivity and mindset and, you know, overcoming challenges and gratitude and all these different topics. And that's what I've been doing ever since. And I just, I love it. I found it's, I tell people, you know, you're in your purpose when you would do it for free. And not only would you do it for free, you would do it for the rest of your life for free. Like I never want to stop yeah. speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I, Cornell, I had, I had a couple things. I was like, Oh, I got to ask him about this. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I, I really couldn't keep the thoughts in my head because I kept moving with your story. And I, th I have to admit, I wasn't as prepared for where, because I, I thought I knew the whole story. I didn't know about the gunman. Yeah. You know, I didn't know about um, how adamant you were when that first idea of being a coach was presented to you. And, and I had the desire to say, to interrupt you and be like, I think you'd be a great coach, but I didn't want you to <laughs> cut this connection and, and end the interview halfway through. It's a little bit risky. Um, but obviously you're a great coach. So now I think I can say that safely and you're not going to hang up on me. No, but, <laughs> but there is something about, and look, I'm not a basketball player, so I could be wrong in this, but coaching is, is what the good players do after they retire. Mm -hmm. Is it, is it a piece of that? It was like, that's like putting the nail in the coffin of any chance of me planning. And it's not just about whether yeah. they think I can or not. It's like, that makes it official. I'm done. Yeah. I'm done, but it also keeps me connected to the game. Mm -hmm. And that's why you see a lot of people, uh, a lot of players also do a commentary. Yeah. It's keeping you close to the game. And it's scary to think that one day you won't have the game anymore in the way that you had it. And it's just understanding that it's just a different way, right? It's you still have the game. You always have the game, yeah. right? All the hours that I put in, you know, for basketball, they don't go anywhere. The work ethic doesn't go anywhere. I transfer it to other things. A lot of athletes don't understand. All the lessons that you learn from being an athlete, you can transfer to your regular life. You just have to learn how to do it, right? It's the same thing. The reason I started doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is because I felt exactly like I did when I was – uh, athlete playing basketball. It's like mm -hmm. you know, locker room camaraderie and it's something that's very difficult and I'm, I suck at it. And I'm like, <laughs> no, what am I doing? Like, I'm getting choked out by this kid. that looks like Harry Potter, you know, like all this stuff. And I'm just like, man, I love it. I love being the student and I love to learn. Right. And with basketball being a coach, my hardest thing, I was really bad coach at first because I was still thinking like a player um. and I was saying to myself, well, these guys don't do this, and I used to do this, and I used to do that. And uh, some of the, my mom's giving me obviously amazing advice, but I got I'll, I'll never forget. I was in North Dakota, and the first month I called home and I said, "Mom, these guys don't work out. I'm working out six, seven hours a day. These guys are doing nothing." I said, "We're not gonna win a game with these guys. I'm not. I'm just like these guys, these guys, this guy." Mm -hmm. What? Listen to me rant for you know like thirty minutes, and then she goes, "Baby boy, can I ask you a question?" And I go, I go, no, she goes, can I tell you something? I said, yes, mom. She goes, those guys are not you. She goes, what do they want out of basketball? I said, I don't know, play college basketball? She goes, yeah. She said, what do you want out of it? I was like, to play professional basketball. She said, yeah. They're not you. Yeah. So you can't hold them to your standard, right? There's got to be some type of middle ground. They can't be like lazy and just drinking all day, but like you can't hold them to your standard. And I had to think about that when I was coaching. And my one of my, my oldest brother, Rob, said to me, when I, we had an 0 for 28 season. We did not win a game. I had guys on my team that were 
never played basketball before ever. We were just scrapping guys together. And at the end of the season, towards the end of the season, I was so pissed off. And he goes, hey, little bro, I got to tell you something. I said, yeah, what's up, Rob? He goes, you got to love him. I said, what? <laughs> huh? He goes, you got to love him. He's like, you got to love your team. Win, lose, draw, you got to love him. He's like, if they don't know that you love them, they're never going to play for you. Yeah. And, man, just I got so many lessons in coaching basketball. Just being a coach and having to manage people and deal with people and all these different egos and all these different uh, backgrounds. When I coach people, you know, I hate to say like I don't really like like. We need life. a better term that sounds less cheesy. I'm yeah, just like going to put that out there. I say like life mapping. Like I help like map out where they want to go. I don't life coaching. We have, we we yeah. will get together and make a term that we'll just use. Uh, for and when you say coach, like for me, my basketball background, I'm like oh, you you coach adults play. I'm like no, dude, no. Um, but yeah, so when I coach people, uh, in life, <laughs> I, uh, it's, it's so much easier for me because of my background and because I've seen all walks of life. I've dealt with so many different people. Uh, but it's, it's amazing, man. I, I think basketball is just a medium. That's it. It was just a medium. It was just something for me to have a story and something for me to gain my work ethic and some, but that's it. It wasn't, it wasn't the end game for me. No, that's so interesting. I'm, I get all these questions about the difference between being a player and a coach and not, not because of the specifics of basketball, but that it is really, I mean, this, this is like, it's as cheesy as saying life coach, but it's such an analog for life mm -hmm. get, there. And, and that's, I mean, that's part of what we do with, with the storytelling, like sharing our story. It's not that it's going to resonate with you because you had the exact same experience, but you're stuck at, you know, point X and I've moved on to Y. So then you figure out how to do it. It's like, look, whether it's this story or that, whether you're talking about your injury or you're talking about growing up after your dad had died and, and everything that that meant to your family and what your mother went through, like there's different aspects of your story. Whether someone went through exactly that or not, that's not the thing that holds them back from seeing the power and the message. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine your work as a basketball coach and seeing the transformation from player to coach that there's all kinds of lessons that like take the basketball out of it. They still completely apply. Oh, for sure. For sure. It was funny because I used to have, uh, I used to have guys that tell me like, coach, I want to play at Villanova. I say, okay. So how often do you work out? Oh, we have practice every day. No, no, no. How often do you work out? Mandatory isn't working out. Mandatory is mandatory. Yeah. What do you do that's extra? Well, um, yeah, okay, well, that person over there, that guy's going to North Carolina. He's six foot 11 and works out every single day, yeah. uh, seven days a week. Right, that's and, the bar. That's the bar. And I, I, it's funny, I, I share this story with people. When I was a senior in high school, I joined track just to get help with basketball, and, and mainly because of the girls. And I was, uh, I was in track, and they wanted me to do the high jump and long jump. And but towards the middle of the season, I started started to understand it a little bit, and I started jumping over like five ten, like I was around six foot. And in dual meets, that's pretty good. I mean, you you beat mostly everybody. And we were playing this high school. I never forget, we're playing Hanover Park, and we're up to five ten. It's me and another guy left, and I jump over five ten. He doesn't make it, and I'm all pumped up and fired up, like yeah, you know, I'm the man. Like my boys are like yeah, and then we see this like shadowy silhouette jogging from the track this big six foot four skinny slender dude and he goes up to the bar and he goes hey what's the bar at because you can come in at whatever height that you want they're like oh the bar's at six foot 
does not take off his warm rope jacket and clears it by like seven inches. Oh my God. <laughs> and I said to myself, I said, your, your bar, understand there's always someone that has it a little bit higher. Like there, oh, there's yeah. always, like just when you think like I rock and I'm the man and I'm whatever, one man, whatever it is, understand there are people out there that are putting that bar a lot higher than you. So you better say, you better step your game up. And then, I mean, not to go too far with the analogy, but it's kind of like for some people, there just isn't a bar. There yeah. is nothing they're measuring themselves against. It's just every day it's better. And yeah. they continue to push. And there is almost like he doesn't need the bar. He's so satisfied with his capabilities and his, his ability to achieve that you don't have to measure it. I'm good. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. I agree with that 100%. I mean, my, I always say that my bet, my, my only goal when I wake up is to be a better version of myself. That's mm. it. I can't compare myself to anybody else. You know why? Because, there's not another me. There's not another Brian. There's not a whatever, whoever it is. There's no one like us. Yeah. That, that's something to be very proud of. Something to realize that in the in the history of this earth, there's never been us before. And when we leave, there'll never be another one of us again. That's special, right? Like we're, I think we don't grasp that simple concept. You are one of one. <laughs> that that makes you special. And that's what I was talking about you know, purpose in my, in my, in my talk, I was just saying like the chances of us even being born, it's just yeah. so ridiculous. Yeah. We forget that when we have bills to pay or we get laid off or someone breaks up with us, we forget all that. We forget how special and unique we actually are. Yeah. And I mean, there's so many ways that that benefits you going back to, you know, when you were going off to your mother about all the, the other players and you know what they're not doing, or you compare yourself to someone who's doing more or is getting further, seemingly doing less, all yep. the comparisons and the judgments that ultimately we're judging ourselves and all that. But if you, if you're one of one, it has nothing to do with anybody else. It's always just about you and what you could be doing, whether they're doing it or not. Okay. Hundred percent. I see that hundred percent. Yeah. Do you do? You, I have a question for you. Do you when you speak? Do you speak on that a lot, Brian? No. Well, okay. So I I go into self love a lot, and it depends yeah. on the audience because some people get get kind of uncomfortable, yeah. and they're like, "Oh, here's a vegan talking about self love. <laughs> where's the you know where's the hacky sack? And are we gonna go into a hugging session? It's not like that, but it is." I, I do I do talk a bit, probably more in my coaching work than my speaking work, but about this need to compare each other or when when people hear my story and then reach out to me like, well, you know, I, I haven't gone through what you went through, but and I'm like, wait, why, why did you just need to qualify your life story with saying it's less than mine? Yeah. And and I promise you, I haven't gone through what someone else went through, but yeah. like it doesn't matter because yeah. their life experience has nothing to do with the way my brain is wired and the way my emotions work. Mm. So it, it, I think it's a topic you should definitely speak on more. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, you have, you have good knowledge in it and just the way you word it. All right. Well, I will have to uh, go back to the transcript and remember how I worded it. So I can, <laughs> I can, throw that in there. Yeah. That'll be Ted talk number three then. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy. Which in itself is nuts. Think about that. Three Ted talks. That's crazy. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. This, the second one is, I mean, this was coming out after it's, it's done, but I have uh, less than a week and a half. Oh, really? Yeah. Where, where, where it's in it? Pensacola, Florida. 
just in case you want to show up randomly and pull an Aaron Hawkins and just just in case just in case you'll be in Pensacola if you happen to be in southern Georgia or yeah yeah sure that's right why not Um, that's yeah no I'm excited for that but I still don't know what I'm gonna wear how petty is that yeah but you have the the cool sneakers so just rock those I have a different pair Okay, because cool. uh, it's this one's about uh, relationships and and making them healthier. So I don't know if a red pair of shoes is the way to go. So I might go with the blue ones. It's okay. a really bright blue, but um, I have some friends I like that, who make fun of them. So I, we'll see. Self love. I, like, I like the fact that you had the red. Like your sneaker game I was like this guy's sneaker game is crazy. Do you want to hear a, a nutty backstory to that TED talk? That, yeah, that I didn't tell you some behind the scenes action. So yeah. yeah. The day before that TED talk, I was in the hospital. Hmm. Yep. The what? day before that TED talk, I was in the hospital. What was happening? So the week before that, we had this big snowstorm. Our yeah. power went out. Uh, we didn't have power for four nights, so we stayed with my mom, me, and my wife, and my two kids. We stayed oh. with my mom, and my mom like has the house. My mom's a you know is a registered nurse, and uh, was a registered nurse. And my mom has the house on like Africa hot, like that's the temperature. <laughs> like it's like okay. it's like Africa. Like I see zebras and all sorts of stuff when I'm at our house. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, it's so hot. I'm like, goodness. I was like, mom, it is hot. We got to turn this down. And my, I said, man, my, you know, I'm getting a pain in like my chest. And my mom, anything. My mom's like, what? 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 What is it? Mm-hmm. I was like, no. I was like, I was working out before. And I was like, you know, my chest is sore. So let's take your blood pressure. Takes my blood pressure. It's high. So she's like, we're going to give it an hour or so. She's like, we take it again. If it's still high. Um, you're gonna go to the hospital. I said, I'm not gonna go in the hospital, Mom. I love you, but I'm not going to the hospital. So my wife chimes in. Yeah, didn't you say your chest was bothering you? I'm like, oh crap. So next morning we wake up. My mom takes it even higher than it was yesterday. Wow. So do you have any history of this? No, not at all. Okay. Not 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 like that. I mean, it was skyrocketing. And she goes, go in, tell them that you're having a problem with your chest. They'll take you in right away. And I'm like, mom, I was like saying my to Melissa on the ride. I said, listen, I said, I love you. I know you love me too. I'm letting you know right now. I don't care what these doctors say. I'm doing that TED talk tomorrow. I was like, I'm just letting you know. And she go, and my wife was like, no, I know. She's like, she used to rebound for me at like one o'clock in the morning in college. Like mm-hmm. I used to, like she knows I'm a nut. So we go in there, they do an EKG, find out everything's fine. Like, you know, probably some stress or whatever. And I, I told the doctor, I said, listen, can I ask you a question? She, and she goes, yeah. I go, if I wanted to run a marathon tomorrow, could I run it and be alive? And she was like, yep. I was like, that's all I need to hear. Thank you, doc. And we got out. And the reason, like, the that TED Talk, like, if you notice what I'm wearing. Yeah. It, we, my, I had all my clothes in the, in the laundromat in town. Uh, not laundromat, the dry cleaners. Uh-huh. And the power, the power was out. So everything was closed. Oh, no way. See. So those are the clothes I just found in my closet. <laughs> That's the whole backstory for my TED talk. I had an oversized jacket, a shirt that I found like that I had to iron the night before that was like under a bunch of things, uh, wow. big pair of jeans and, and sneakers, like all that stuff. I was in the hospital the day before. Well, your your throw together random clothes thing came off pretty good. And and <laughs> I know why you had problems. I know what your blood pressure was all about. Tell me. Just, you were about to meet me. Did you not know yep. that? That's what it was. <laughs> See, I'm that comfortable with myself now that I actually would believe that. No, definitely not. I love it. I was like, you know what? I know I'm going to meet this dude here. That yeah. is gonna kind I don't of even change. know who he is, but I just, mm, I just know it. I was it. like, oh, my chest is starting. <laughs> Look, we both know it was about Aaron. 
that's what it was. But, yeah. That's... They, what a great, what a great dude. I mean, I already knew you were a really good human, but usually when you meet people that are close to the human that you're interacting with and yeah. they're good people, you're like, okay, yeah, I made the right choice. Like, I met Aaron. I'm like, man, what a good he, human. Yeah. He's one of the greatest people I've ever met. I'm, uh, so I, I sent, I sent him, I sent him an email about, yeah, um, as we're recording this, I had just released his episode on this podcast two days before. Mm-hmm. Other than the time I had listened to edit, to yeah. you know, to to pull it all together, I've listened to it six times now, and I've known Aaron for a year and a half. I know his story. We're in a mastermind together. I talk to him every week. Yeah. Um. So it's there was nothing in it that I was like, oh, I didn't know this. I just, but there's something about him. There's yeah. a truth. There's a realness. There. Um. Yeah, he's awesome. I'm so I'm so thankful to have met him, and I'm glad to have connected you two. Yeah, he's he is a he is a great 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 human being. We're and okay. You, uh, he's a whole other. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're just we're just all right. Um, but Aaron, he's a, he's a good dude. I mean, he's. I love meeting people that it's not a, it's not some type of sales pitch. Like, mm-hmm. and that's how I am. Like when I meet people, like I genuinely want to see like, is there anything I can do to help? Like what, if you're on a, if you're on a mission, that's true. Right. So when I meet someone like you, I'm like, this dude is on a mission. That's true. He wants to help other people. What can I do? Like, if, is there anything I can do? Is there anyone I can connect them with? Is there any, that's what the things that run, that's what runs through my, my brain. Who can I connect him with? Yeah. Right. And it's like, I know we're going to work together down the line. I know we're going to end up doing something. I know I'm going to have you speak at one of my events. Um, but that's the, one of the first things I was thinking, like once I talked to you, when we were sitting down, I'm like, man, who can I connect Brian with? Like, man, will be a good connection because I want, I don't, I always say this. I don't think there's any, any speaker that feels uh fear of other speakers doing well. Yeah. You're really, you're really not authentic Yeah, because what you should be doing is trying to help as many speakers as possible, help change this planet. That's the point. Yes. The point. We're not competition for each other. We're we're part of the same group that's same group. And and that's why, like, you know, when you said about doing it for free, um, and you do it for free for the rest of your life, because the payment is knowing like if what I said just helped one person get to a better place, mm-hmm. that is the whole purpose. And the money comes eventually, one way or the other, like you'll be fine. And God, you've been through enough struggle. Yeah. Money focus growing up. Watch yep. your mother get through it all. You like you know you're gonna be okay. Yeah, that's not what you worry about. Yeah, I can step it out. Worry and about the, purpose. The worry about purpose. Worry about going out there and giving overvaluing people. Like give them give them so much value where they feel almost guilty mm-hmm. <laughs> that you like your your show right now. I mean, think about the value that you give people every episode if they just sit and listen. Just value, and this is on top of. You're speaking, you're coaching, your interactions, all the other things that you do. Just this show alone, if someone sat down and listened to the messages, listened to the conversations that you're having with all these amazing people, the value they can get is priceless. And that's why when I tell people, when I have speakers, people that want to get into speaking, like, well, what do you, what should I charge? What should I blah, blah, blah. I mean, you have to understand something. If you say something that changes the course of someone's life, that there's no, there's no cost for yeah, that. Yeah, it's invaluable. It's invaluable. So you just have to figure out what you're comfortable with asking yeah like what are you comfortable asking because to be honest we could all like we can ask for a million dollars oh, give me a million give me two million give me five million give me ten million give me because it's priceless all i have to do is say one thing that changes the way you think and there you go yeah. so yeah 
I, I um, I'm with you, man. I think that there's got to be a more um more of a movement among speakers in terms of collaboration. Mm-hmm. You have to really start because once you speak, someone hires you. They're not going to hire you back, you know, until like maybe later, unless you have right. You can't have the same speaker twice. Yeah, they're just gonna okay. Yeah. Cool. I want I want people I can hand to them and be like, look, if this meant something to you, this is someone who is going to expand your mind, who's going to move yeah. you forward, who's going to get you yeah. through. And you can't do that when you're when you're not embracing other speakers or right. you you see speakers like, oh, well, this guy. I mean, just dumb stuff. That's why, like, I make, you know, my videos are like 75 percent, like, you know, serious content, 25 percent just me being a nut. <laughs> what show people is like, it's not about all about being serious. I'm going to show you make a six figure salary. Join my coaching. Like, it's not about that. Yeah. You know, it's about me being a human, too. Like, I'm not, I'm a crazy person. I joke around all the time. I have fun. Like, I enjoy people. No, so you're that, a big personality, and that comes right through in a good way. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I, appreciate I appreciate it. But this is, yeah, this is doing this, like sitting down and talking and having these kind of conversations. And this is what I live for. I love, I love having real conversations. This is great. Cool. It's, it's always awesome to connect with you. I wish we, got more of a chance more often but i'm thankful for this one and i want people to be able to connect with you as well so what's what is the way that they should be doing that to get this inspiration and figure out a better path to to where their purpose really lies in life i would say uh my just a couple quick my instagram is cornell thomas 34 and you can always message me there Uh, my facebook is just cornell thomas i still have some space left to accept some friends and um, my website is www.cornell-thomas.com. I think Twitter is at Cornell Thomas. So yeah, I, and I'm like you, Brian, if someone reaches out to me, I, I reach right back out. You're a friend of Brian's, you're a friend of the show, you're a friend of mine. Uh, just Brian's my brother. So please reach out any questions. I'd be ha- happy to ask. Awesome. awesome. Answer. And obviously I will link up to all that, but um, yeah. yeah, people really should. Cause you do respond. You you put a lot of yourself into what you put out there for everybody else, and it really shows. So it's, it's worth the effort of reaching out to you. So I hope people Thanks. do that. Thanks, man. Cornell, I'm so thankful to have you on. Um, yeah, it was awesome. I just I'm, I'm so glad we got to connect in the first place, reconnect. Yeah. And I'm a little bit still in shock from the rest of your story that you didn't share on stage. Yeah, <laughs> um, man, that's, that, that is that is a life like that is about as powerful of a story, a journey as I can imagine. And I'm just, I'm thankful that you shared that today. Thanks brother. Thanks for having me. This is, this is an honor for me. Are you ready to stop sharing with me and, uh, and help me close this thing up? Yeah, sure. All right, man. <laughs> so, today's a new day. Oh, get out and do it. Yeah, that's good enough. I'll yes, take it. No, no. Do a all day. Right. We move on. No, it's all good. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks, Brian. I'll talk to you soon, brother. What a guy. Oh, he's amazing. Cornell Thomas. Such power and conviction and direction uh, and just 100% relatable. I love that. He's just so genuine and real, and you just feel that connection. Uh, there's even more when you're in person. So if you think he was great, uh, you know, through this medium, through just hearing him in person, it's a whole other ball game. Um, God, that, no pun intended. I don't know that whole basketball thing i didn't mean anything with that no he's just incredible you got to check him out so you know he gave all of his links check out the uh the show notes to to get to them as well but the easiest way to do it is cornell-thomas.com and of course he's got all his social media linked up there and just start taking in what he's putting out i don't know if he mentioned his linkedin 
but uh, he does put out incredible content on LinkedIn right now. I'm really, we were talking about it before we were recording that he's really been making efforts there and it's great stuff. So I've like, I'm still taking inspiration from him and I know the guy and I know his message yet. He still inspires me. So go check him out. And um, yeah, it did kind of turn into a love fest and it did kind of turn into, uh, you know, talking about the stuff that I'm working on. Um, and I appreciate that, but I appreciate you guys being here because this is the stuff that I'm working on and you sticking it out this far in the show, um, means that you're committing to and giving something of yourself to hopefully get something back. And I hope it is resonating for you with guests like Cornell, like Aaron, who we mentioned several times and, and, uh, God, any of the other incredible people that I've been so lucky to have on this show so thank you for sticking with that, for listening. I hope you're getting something from it. If you haven't subscribed yet, subscribe, check it out. Maybe you're a new listener. Maybe you're someone who knows Cornell and listened because of him. There's other incredible people that are a lot like Cornell and on that same wavelength that you may get something from. So hit the subscribe button in whatever software you like to use to listen to your podcast and uh, check out what else I've got to offer from Do A Day. So you can go to doadaybook.com. You can get the free uh, exercise to just get you started on this whole journey. I I'm struggling with what to call it. Cause it's just called the big goal exercise. Like it's just an exercise. There's no jazzy name for it, but it's doadaybook.com slash the exercise, totally free. Some questions to spark your curiosity about yourself, about your values and get you going on that path. And you can get the book and you can listen to other episodes and you can learn more about me at brianfalchuk.com. Check out my blog. I do a lot of articles that are sort of inspired by the idea of do a day to keep you going on your mission, take it in, learn from it, grow from it and challenge yourself, challenge me, ask questions. That's the whole point in life. So with that, I will leave everyone. Cornell, I think left us on a, a charged up high note. I don't want to kill that. I want to keep that going. So take that power that Cornell instilled in all of us and go out and do it. Thanks everybody.